I know that scene because it's again in a bunch of movies. Like it's just iconic. But I didn't know it was actually in this movie. Really. But as soon as the scene started, I knew it was that scene. (laughs) That's how iconic it was. That just from them walking outside together, I was like, "This, yeah, is that, yeah, this is that scene." Wait, he's about to say it. He's about to say it, and he says it with his great little twang he's got, and just Mm -hmm. ate it up. Yeah. Also, when she painted that uh, little painting of him lassoing the moon mm-hmm. it just grabs your heart like oh yeah you know and then he like doesn't even notice it kinda and he's like oh like, you making fun of me right it's like bro open your freaking eyes <laughs> if you had your hearing all the way you would have known she loves you and was gonna marry you from the time you were a kid hey what's going on guys my name is Kenneth Jackson I'm an actor from Atlanta Georgia And I'm Trey Riley. I'm a writer-director from Charlotte, North Carolina. And this is Cinevibes. Hey, what's going on, everyone? My name is Kenneth Jackson, and welcome back to the Cinevibes. Yo, it is Christmas week. We're jingling all the way over here at the Cinevibes. And this week, we're coming at you with a very special episode. Of course, I'm joined by my esteemed co-host and good friend, Trey Riley. Howdy, and Merry Christmas, or Happy Holidays, or both. Happy Hanukkah, Kwanzaa, all of the above. Any other of the ones that we did not mention. And welcome back. We have a special episode today because we're talking about a very, very traditional movie that many people watch every single year, like, you know, A Christmas Story, except... It's not a Christmas story. It's a wonderful life. Mm, beautiful segue. Thank you. Thank you. I, I pat on the back for that <laughs> one. <laughs> That's right. We're reviewing the classic film, It's a Wonderful Life, from the beautiful year of 1946. Ken, do you remember what you were doing that year? Um. So, <laughs> <laughs> I don't think my molecules were even like assembling at that point in any shape or form. I think... I was still floating around in space, but no. Exactly. None of us were around, but nonetheless, a great film for the ages. And one that I actually just saw this week. So That's right. Shame on me, first off. But <sighs> thankfully, I have now seen a movie that is in all the lists. Mm-hmm. You look up top Christmas movies. It's in the top 10. You look up top movies of all time. It's in the top 25, nominated for Oscars, all the things. This is a film that I would assume most people have seen, if not watched with their kids, grandkids, whatever it might be. Mm -hmm. It's a Wonderful Life. Let's jump in. Yeah, so, as was mentioned before, it was directed by Frank Capra, and the screenplay was by Francis Goodrich, Albert Hackett, and also... Frank Capra himself. So, interesting fact that I learned while watching this uh, film using the x-ray thing on Amazon. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Frank, this was one of the... uh, It is the first and last film that Frank Capra was a director, producer, and writer, I believe, on Mm. a project. The first time he had ever been uh, all of those. Uh, And it was... uh, 
stars James Stewart, Donna Reed, Lionel Barrymore, Thomas Mitchell. List goes on with a bunch of fantastic actors. And definitely mm-hmm. the acting was extremely well done in this film, I think, for like just the nice quaintness of the story, but also the gravity of the story at the same time. Mm-hmm. For the era as well. I have to like take myself out of 2020 and realize the dialogue and the way that the story is delivered is just a completely different atmosphere. Mm -hmm. So when you jump into that, then, you know, you really can settle in and let the message hit you hard, which for me, it definitely did. Oh, yeah. Wanted to mention... Uh, James Stewart again, Jimmy Stewart, obviously super huge star. I want to say, you know, he was kind of like, maybe like a Brad Pitt of that era or something, mm-hmm. but oh, maybe yeah. not like the hot guy, it's just more like the... Really well-known, really good Yeah, actor. like the husband dude that's just like a, the good guy character in a bunch of yeah. stuff. You know, he was in you know Vertigo, Rear Window, things like that. Um, but we have him here in this film, and I didn't know this before I watched it, but apparently he had taken a break from acting for a little bit to Mm. be in the war. Oh, wow. And when he came back, this film was the first one that he did. Wow. So, not only a a fantastic actor, but also a patriot. But also a patriot. A gentleman and a scholar, as they say. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I uh, I dug his performance. Definitely, he's one of those names that I remember like a lot about. Like I know his name when I see it, and I know that he was one of the greats. Mm-hmm. Um, but this was I I feel, and my knowledge is kind of fading. Hopefully, you can put some of the pieces together for me. But RKO Radio Pictures, I believe, was a very uh, in. This goes back a long time ago with like the early days of cinema and everything, but I'm pretty sure RKO was a very like almost an A24 of its time. I think it was one of those more edgy like because I watched a Western noir, which I talked about in one of our first episodes, um, Blood on the Moon. I'm pretty sure that was an RK radio pictures as well. And Mm -hmm. it, it was also very experimental at the same time. But not to say that this film was experimental. Uh, I mean, it had a budget of like $3.18 and I'm assuming that's in its own time. Mm -hmm. And if you take the 1940, you know, amount from then, the buying power, and put it to today, my God, you know, it's a a huge film. We're talking about something that's insanely, like, expensive to make, and... As you watch the film, you can probably see why. And you probably won't because you will. And this was an interesting fact. The entire film was done on a set. Mm-hmm. It was done on a set. Yeah. The uh, downtown was completely built. I think one of the biggest ones of its time. Uh, something like a 300 yard stretch of a main street was constructed for it. Mm-hmm. Which is just... I mean, insane, because now you would just jump on a green screen and go Marvel City on it. But, mm-hmm. you know, they pulled out all the stops. And in a lot of ways, I think this movie was kind of groundbreaking. Uh, one thing in particular I found out was that 
uh, up to to this point, they were creating snow using like cornflakes. Mm-hmm. But they were really loud, obviously, so you couldn't right. record any audio, mm-hmm. which is a bit of a problem because then you're in the post production studio doing ADR and it's trash. Yeah. <laughs> um. So they created a whole new type of snow that was able to be pumped out and using a wind machine came down a lot lighter and able to actually record dialogue on set. Wow. Yeah, I I was looking through like information on this film and I saw that it won, you know, it was nominated in 1946 for a lot of different awards and you including know, f- best picture yeah, for like five different awards, best picture, best director, best actor, best film editing, best sound recording, and those were five nominations. But it won Technical Achievement Award mm-hmm. for the exact reason that you're talking about now. Yeah. Which it not many people, when they're watching the film today, would be like, that's a technical achievement. They'd be mm-hmm. like, oh, congratulations, you just got a, a snowblower or something like that. You got some <laughs> you got some like one of those that they use on like huge sets. But no, right. that at that point it was it was not easy or at least not commonplace to have the ability to have snow and record dialogue and audio yeah. at the same time. And I think we take that for granted specifically with uh rain and snow, but more so snow. Even now like you watch a lot of movies and the snow is terrible. Like, mm-hmm. falling snow, specifically, snow on the ground, like, that's whatever. It can be yeah. maybe even real ice, but falling snow, when you see it hit someone and it just, like, sits there, mm-hmm. you know? It's like, yeah. well, uh, that's, like, not snow. Yeah. But, you know, I didn't even catch myself thinking that in this movie, and maybe I was kind of just caught up in, you know, seeing it for the first time and uh, the storyline and, you know, things like that, but... It wasn't distracting, which mm-hmm. is something that I would say is a big achievement for yeah. a film uh, from the 40s, specifically. Mm-hmm. To go back to your one point, you mentioned RKO radio pictures. Mm-hmm. They did Citizen Kane as well. Citizen so Kane. They were coming off of that in 41, and uh, you know they very well could have been like an A24 type in the sense that they let their creators create, but thought that was fascinating a little mm-hmm. extra nugget for you guys yeah if you're ever interested if you're an a24 fan i guess you're an rko radio fan now so <laughs> go check out all these old-timey films to go find out all that good stuff but yeah it this film it was definitely one that i don't think many people saw coming as something that i, I honestly if you're like today if we're like you know if someone were to Show, like come up to me now and be like the film that's going to drop this Christmas is going to define Christmas movies for the like next hundred years I'll be like come on what what Hallmark like house are you living in alright yeah there, it's going to be the same thing over and over again many people I feel like now are like yeah it's pretty much Christmas movies like mm-hmm. it Christmas has it's- in the Pines part 2 Yep, it's it has its aesthetics. You know what I mean. It has its plots. You know, woman comes back from 
you know, New York City to her small town, ha- like hamlet of a town and mm-hmm. falls in love with the fishmonger. I don't know. Like, <laughs> so it, you know, it all got sort it, of never really got out of college, <laughs> stayed home, like worked on a farm, that type of thing. It really just follows the same formula. And I don't yeah. think many people would think, oh, Christmas movies are going to be a hit and it'll define like a lot of cinema and what it means to be like a certain thing like Christmas like mm-hmm. this film did you know what I mean and yeah. I think I think that it just was gold was struck with this film and it's the way it was you know composed acted directed produced all this sort of stuff I think it really was just a whirlwind of you know the pieces falling in the right place yeah the right snowflakes falling in the right place oh I see what you did there Thank you, thank you. Pat on the back again. <laughs> I gotta admit, when I uh, when I first uh, started the film, you know, it opens up with like the universe, and it's like God talking to an angel, essentially. Like mm-hmm. that's what we the vibe we're getting, or like yeah. the, it's heaven, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, they're talking about James Stewart's character, George Bailey, which is what the whole film is about. It follows this story from a child to uh, struggling businessman mm-hmm. and I was like okay like what are we doing here you got yeah. like a cloud talking to a lampshade <laughs> or, you know, I couldn't I'm even not fully tripping tell. right now am I I couldn't fully tell even what uh, the visual was there mm-hmm. I was also surprised just to jump back a second I thought it was going to be in black and white but right. at least on Amazon Prime there's like a remastered version that's mm-hmm semi slash fully color it's kind of like that you know early 60s type of color thing going on Mm -hmm. um so that was kind of a treat because i love black and white films as much as the next guy but yeah it was cool to see it uh kind of like restored i guess i don't know when that happened Mm -hmm. um anyway so like that's where the story starts jump in george bailey learn about his life as a kid and why he is potentially about to kill himself. Yeah. Which is not the normal Christmas movie start. Like, it's usually, like you mentioned, not someone's about to kill himself. Let's go save him. Yeah. And I think that, you know, it does a really good job at establishing the setting. You know what I mean? I think it does a really good job at exposing the... You know, it's not telling you and spoon feeding you the entire time, you know, this is what the film's about and this is what it means. You know, I think it does a really good job of that because it's not like what we're talking about as far as him going and, you know, wanting to jump off the bridge as he does, you know, later in the film. Mm -hmm. Many people remember the film for that and the film itself is really well known for that whole entire arc of he finds himself in dire straits you know the bank that he is owned we'll we'll go in further detail but the bank that his family has owned for the longest time is about to be foreclosed he's got he's in debt they're about to come after him and take him to jail he's Mm -hmm. in dire straits he's about to jump off the bridge until the angel shows up and is pretty much like go you know like you know cold night for a swim right yeah and he pretty much is like i have to do it and he doesn't uh, and then the angel shows him what it would be like for him 
to not have been born. Many mm-hmm. people know this film on based on that description right there. But yeah. it doesn't occur until like the last quarter of the film. Mm-hmm. Like that whole entire arc right there does not occur until the last quarter of the film. And I think, you know, the first two thirds, I mean, two, uh, three fourths of the film is about setting up George, his town, his relationship with everybody and what like, you know, it means to live in that town. And I think it also does a good job at, you know, it, it doesn't, it shows you what he's going through, his struggles and everything of owning the bank and having to continually like, you know, when the bank goes on a run or something like this, he has to try and stop it. He has to try and keep the bank afloat. Also him mm-hmm. having dreams of going off and tr- seeing the world, all this sort of stuff. It it shows that more than, you know, alluding to what will happen, right? It, it pretty much sets up what this town means to George and why George feels the certain way and is led to what he eventually does yeah and to your point about the part that people remember the most the ending there that's what makes it a christmas film but it's the story building for the other three fourths that develops who his character is as a person Mm -hmm. and that's what we come to care about and why it's so impactful when we see him later being removed from that and all the changes and all the effects of him not being alive. Mm-hmm. And that's really powerful because, and again, having seen this only this year, I see all these movies that have like paid homage to this movie. Like mm-hmm. you think about Bruce Almighty even. Yeah. Like you get a chance in that case to be God and then like you ruin it you like see like how you can't do it yeah um a movie like click for instance where you get a chance to like control your own life and then you find out that you just love the mediocre quote unquote life that you had yeah and like the list goes on and on like this movie is the only reason any of these other ones that we know and love exist because it kind of broke the mold on at least in my opinion, what a story can deliver, Mm -hmm. especially for that time. You know, there was a lot of guy meets girl and that happens in this movie, but Mm -hmm. like, that's all it is, you know? And it's kind of like, okay, like, you know, we've seen this. It's, that's like the original Hallmark movies. Yeah. But this one, I mean, while it's focused on him falling in love, it's more about just him finding his character and like his worth as a human being mm-hmm. and not losing sight of that even when turmoil hits and tragedy yeah. and you know things aren't going your way which i mean uh 2020 is that applicable i don't know <laughs> like 1946 and now that's freaking long time and it's that's just a, still current that's yeah. a true testament to a film yeah i definitely the beginning of the film, like what you're talking about, like how it sets up as well uh, the story, like you talked about before, how it starts with showing George and he saves his brother and he's, you know, grows up with his brother. His brother goes off to college and he's going to stay in the town mm-hmm. and he's going to pretty much 
stay until his brother comes back. And when his brother comes back, he's going to go and travel the world. That is the plan. Um, but they, uh, the war ends up happening and the brother goes off and, uh, he stays in the town longer. And so, so yeah, the brother goes off and he goes off to college the first time. And then he ends up coming back and George is like, all right, I'm going to be able to go off and travel and do what I want to do. But then the war breaks out. Brother goes off to war and he needs to stay in the town to keep the bank afloat, the family bank that has been in the family. And it is it was alluded to earlier in the film as well. The father speaking to George Bailey saying, are you going to take up the reins of owning the family business? Mm-hmm. And George is like, no, I want to go travel the world. I want to do my own thing. I don't want to be cooped up in an office. I think he pretty much says that to his father. Yeah. And I want to speak on that for a second because I think this speaks to a lot of people that, you know, it spoke to me because that's my definition of how I feel uh, with my life right now. As a young Mm -hmm. artist trying to go after what I want, I don't want to be cooped up at a certain place. I may have a job that is, you know, completely different than what I want to do with my life, but I don't want to be cooped up in that. I want to be free to go do what I want to artistically. Right. And I think this movie speaks a lot to people and it it comes around to a very sentimental uh, meaning at the end of the film uh, with what it means, you know, what his life meant to the town and what it would have been like if he hadn't been there. Right. Comes around Mm -hmm. to that. But for me, I I definitely identify with what George said early in the film is like, I don't want to be cooped up. I don't want to have to stay with the family business, because in my opinion, it's pretty much saying that, oh, you were born to run this family thing and you can't have your own decision. That's, Mm -hmm. you know, in a very black and white way of saying it, that's what it sounds like. And it speaks to me because I'm like. You have to be able to give it a shot what you want to do with your life. And I think that's what George was not allowed to have was that decision because his father ends up dying and the bank, it's either going to be given away to these strangers and then sold off and pretty much taken over by this tycoon, this Mm -hmm. miserly tycoon that owns the town pretty much. Potter. And it pretty much would fall out of favor and like they know that he was corrupt we all know that he's corrupt or we learn and so george is like no i can't let that happen and so he is very much spearheaded into this position that he didn't want to be in but he does it because he knew that it was the right thing to do quote unquote the right thing to do and it was and it shows in the latter bit of the film that more good came than bad but it, it to me it was like he had no choice to go do what he wanted, mm-hmm. right? At the sacrifice of his own dreams, yeah. other people were able to prosper, which is why it's such a moving ending. And I'll be honest, like I was crying there oh, yeah. at the end, like everyone comes rushing mm. in and the money is getting thrown on the table. Because like, the money is a symbol of the impact that he had on their lives, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's the love they had for them. Yeah. Yeah. They're all there. They're giving everything they have to make sure that he can, first off, not go to jail. Uh, secondly, yeah. can keep the bank running and just 
keep his life, you know, like, and you know, it's really powerful. It's just a, a human story about the internal struggles that we think that no one cares or our deeds go unnoticed or the good that we do is irrelevant, but it's not. I mean, so often in my life, it's definitely not. And then, you know, later on you hear a story from someone like, hey, like that, you know, you, you impacted me positively. You helped me. So that's mm-hmm. that's the basis of the storyline. And there's a bunch of things we can probably jump into with talking about the way they delivered the image. The mm-hmm. sound was revolutionary as well outside of being able to record audio on set in general like the score and mm-hmm. those types of things were uh next level as well so mm-hmm. i just want to talk about you know first off from a technical standpoint the camera work was very mobile i noticed yeah. the they i guess they're using a lot of dolly uh setups and rigs like that because i mean we're going down this main street like you know, walking parallel with them, like these fluid camera movements and a lot of turns and, you know, longer shots that I wouldn't have anticipated mm-hmm. for a movie from this time period. Yeah. It just seemed like they opened up a new level of shot listing that you could do and sort of like blocking and things like that that uh, maybe weren't available before or at least not used very often. Yeah. I definitely think that the it did a fantastic job with some of the shots that it had and the way that the the camera moved. And I think that this was a was very much an era of revolution for camera technique and what someone could do with a camera. Because, mm-hmm. you know, correct me if I'm wrong, when did Citizen Kane come out? Uh 41. 41. So it's in the same ballpark in the same time frame that they're doing this. And Citizen Kane is very well known for its camera usage. Like that's one of the reasons Mm -hmm. it's well known is because of its revolutionary camera work. And so I think that, you know, this film is doing the same thing is is it's exploring these different ways you can use a camera uh, rather than having static pan shots like what you would mainly see before this time frame static shots or, you know, these other still images just really right? locked off you yeah know, not a lot of fluid movement it's, there it's giving it a lot more mobility and like you said like those push-ins or those like pans like that while it's moving at the same time mm-hmm. definitely adds a lot more to the film because it makes it a little bit more alive would you not would you agree like i think it Absolutely. definitely it it gives the viewer a little bit more energy while it's watching and also it kind of helps show that you know there's more to the world than is what's in this frame you know what i mean yeah the frame like it it, many people before that time i feel like we're so used to like static shot this is what's in the camera but seeing Mm -hmm. it move around the set showed that it's not just a set it is a world and you know we had some of those shots where it's like a static locked off exterior like at mm-hmm. the bank, and then we jump inside. Like mm-hmm. you know, they still do that on sitcoms today. Like yeah, it's just it's a good technique. Yeah, but you also see moving through worlds outside. 
And that's the part that fascinated me, even with like the bridge, for instance. Mm-hmm. You know, from what I can tell, that looks like either it's a really nicely built set or maybe that's a real bridge. I, I wasn't sure. Mm-hmm. But they're moving through the space and it just takes away that 2D, like stage like performance mm-hmm. where you're actually like immersed and you feel like you're there. And again, I think it's real. Um, I didn't get to confirm that, but there's instances of that outside and then as well, even inside moving through rooms and it mm-hmm. just feels a lot less like a stage and more like an actual world, which is what we love about filmmaking today. Yeah. The ability to use the camera and as like in the final scene when George runs into the house, the camera may only be doing pan shots or static shots where it just tilts or pans. But at the same time, like James, James Stewart's performance was so good. And like these takes were a lot uh, like long, like mm-hmm. they weren't short takes. And as you watch the final sequence, you can see he walks down the stairs with the entire family and he's going into the living room and then he goes over to the or the wife goes over to the door. These are long shots and the ability to keep the acting up at that level and that energy is so fantastic. But also like the shots as well, knowing that the actors and having the confidence that it will be like that, you know, like they will have it right there. And Mm -hmm. using the camera as an observer rather than just like, this is what you need to pay attention to. But rather it's like, Mm -hmm. you know, you're getting to watch life happen rather than knowing that life is happening. You know what I mean? Yeah, it felt like the camera was moving as another character with him Mm -hmm. uh, throughout the house, which it's just that it's an intangible, you know, Mm -hmm. like in sports, you're really strong, you got a good arm, but it's like, that ability to, you know, do a spin move and get out of a tackle, like, you can't put that on paper, what that trait is, and give it a rating, per se. Yeah. And that's something that I kind of equate also with the way to move the camera about. It doesn't have a certain one word that you can define it by, but it's effectively used in many ways mm-hmm. in this film. Something else I noticed, I have a favorite shot. I don't know if you have a favorite shot, but if you can remember back when they, him and Mary get married, Mm -hmm. they're about to go on their honeymoon. They're like fanning their $2,000, which I think is a lot of money back then. Oh, yeah. I saw a number where like $10 was over $100 now. Oh, yeah. So you do that that math and that's a pretty nice honeymoon they're about to go on. Mm Mm-hmm. But anyways, like, they stop because the bank, you know, there's the crisis at the bank. And uh, George Bailey gets out of the car and goes and, like, deals with that, like, the boss that he is. Mm-hmm. And his wife's left in the back of the car, and it's raining. Yeah. So we get a shot of the back of this car with the water on the back window, and, like, her face is, like, perfectly lit. Yeah. And it just sits there in that shot, and I'm like, I literally, I was watching it with Joanna and I was like, hmm, like you see that? Like that's yep. a good shot. Yep. I think, you know, I, I don't know. It's gotta be my favorite shot of the film. I'm probably going to be really cheesy with it, but it's, it's gotta be, uh, you want the moon? Mm, <laughs> I'll take a lasso yes. and throw it on the moon. Like, I think that's one of the most iconic scenes. And I think the like way that they're lit and just the the way the it's framed 
I think is just fantastic. And I, I think that that scene itself was really well shot. And um, that that whole entire sequence, I just loved. And, and yeah. like you said, like that shot was extremely good as well. Like I saw that and I was like, oh my God. Mm-hmm. Like you were talking about, like how well she's lit. In the, uh, no. Yeah, I, I mean, agree. yeah, they're trying to shoot nighttime there. Mm-hmm. And I know that scene. Because it's, again, in a bunch of movies, like, it's just iconic. Mm-hmm. But I didn't know it was actually in this movie. Really? But as soon as the scene started, I knew it was that scene. <laughs> like, that's how iconic it was, that just from them walking outside together, I was like, this, yeah, is that, yeah, this is I that scene. This, this is, is it. Wait, he's about to say it, he's about to say it. And he says it with his great little twang he's got and just Mm -hmm. ate it up yeah also when she painted that uh little painting of him lassoing the moon Mm -hmm. it just grabs your heart like oh yeah you know and then he like doesn't even notice it kinda and he's like oh like you making fun of me right it's like bro open your freaking eyes <laughs> if you had your hearing all the way you would have known she loves you and was going to marry you from the time you were a kid yeah they they um what was it? the the lassoing in the moon it's funny you mentioned bruce almighty cuz i remember vividly like in mm-hmm. bruce almighty he takes a lasso, throws it around the moon and pulls it in <laughs> towards him so <laughs> yeah literally it's, straight it's, up stole that that's right. So it's it's pretty. Uh, the, some of the like a lot of the shots in here are really good, and if you take your time to go through, it's really well done. So sim- the cinematographers definitely deserve credit. Joseph Walker and Joseph Barak they did a fantastic job. So they absolutely they did they did great. I found out something interesting about the screenplay. And mm-hmm. also about the movie in general when it was first released. Yeah. It wasn't well received. Mm. It didn't do well in the box office. And actually the screenplay writers, most of them didn't want to have anything to do with the project. Wow. And most of their ideas, their scene, whatever they had written, didn't even make it into the film. Mm-hmm. So I don't know like what all happened with that, but inherently this movie in a lot of ways wasn't set up to be successful initially Mm -hmm. but obviously frank capra just really had a vision i'm assuming him getting that screenplay writing is because he probably rewrote a lot of it yeah and uh you know i think he's just the guy that put this story on his back and knew exactly what he wanted to make made it very Mm -hmm. personal you can tell it's got some interlacings of you know, what someone probably had to deal with in their own life. And mm-hmm. when you look up trivia about it, uh, it says the same. So yeah, I think that's just a, a, a testament to when you have a vision and it's a strong enough vision, you can execute it well. And despite any hardship, struggles, whatever there might have been, turmoil with the project, mm-hmm. you can just get it done and then the end result's going to be something that you're proud of yeah like there's no way that he knew what he made would be something people watch religiously Mm -hmm. year after year you know some 60 70 80 years later yeah i 
the critical reception, I that was something that I was extremely shocked about. And I think it just goes back to talking about how you can never really truly know in the in the moment, right? Mm-hmm. How a film will age. And yeah. it it's something where maybe sometimes you'll see a movie and you're like, yo, this slaps. Like in 50 years, <laughs> I'm going to be watching this. You know, some movies, yeah. But movies like this where it's, it's just a, like, I don't know how Christmas movies were perceived back then. I couldn't even begin to understand. But mm-hmm. it probably wasn't like this is going to be defining or this is going to be something that uh, families will watch for the next century, you know? And I think like looking at it now, like the film recorded a loss of like 525,000 at the box office in that time. Mm -hmm. So we're talking about, you know, millions and millions of dollars lost uh, because of, you know, the critical reception. And uh, I think that also hints at, you know, maybe sometimes the critics are wrong. <laughs> sometimes they're wrong. You hear that? Oh, the critics listening. <laughs> We're calling you out. That's right. Yeah. Something else, you know, in that vein was, I know a lot of families watch this movie together. Yeah. And this is something that I was talking to with Johanna when we watched it. I don't think it's, like a child-friendly film. Like, I don't yeah. think... Because it's first half is two hours and ten minutes. Mm, yeah. They're so asleep halfway through. They're asleep. They're out. <laughs> the beginning of the story has nothing to do with Christmas. Yep. It's fairly centered around this one guy and just his attempts to go off and do big things in the world. So it's not really set up to be... A film you watch with your kids mm-hmm. Although I know everyone does I'd be interested to see How many kids watch it when they're little And now mm-hmm. they're like Just don't even know what it was about I'm sure right. it's pretty high Because um, again as an adult 28 years old watching it now I love it Like mm-hmm. it had a lot of layers and depth And great things to um, Savor but Mm-hmm. I just I don't I don't think this is this isn't uh, Shrek the Halls you know it's not oh, no. uh, <laughs> Christmas with the Cranks or whatever <laughs> I mean I guess that's probably not kids that one's either. that one's adults <laughs> yeah. but uh, well it's PG thirteen I don't know what people are watching now with their kids <laughs> but um, yeah you know a bunch of these movies back then are PG or G whatever they were and rating aside it's just got a lot of deep stuff in there and. Mm-hmm. That's fine. Like kids will miss it. They'll sleep. Whatever. Yeah. But I thought it was fascinating. I expected it to be more like a family film, and yeah. I, it's not that. Yeah, I think it definitely does lend itself to not being a very Christmassy. You know, get the family together and let's roast chestnuts on an open fire. <laughs> you know what I mean? It definitely doesn't do that in the beginning. And it doesn't, I mean, even still, towards the end, we're talking about about a guy that almost, like, threw himself off a bridge. Yeah. So subject. That's some heavy, like, philosophical stuff to think about. And, you know, I think that the film does, and it goes back to talking about the, like, story, is it sets it up so well that you're, you're guaranteed to have at least some 
tierage upage in the last <laughs> 15 minutes. You know what I mean? <laughs> We're going to have to brand that as well. <laughs> Top-notch content and tierage upage. Tierage upage. That one's definitely there. Uh, it In the last 15 minutes, you're guaranteed to have at least one tiny tear fall down your face. It's mm-hmm. because of the amount of gravity that was given to the story in the beginning. Yeah. And then your commitment to the story up to that point and how much it means. And to make it come full circle to what I spoke about in the beginning of the podcast about how, you know, in my personal opinion, if someone were to say you have to stay here and take over the family business, I would be like, no, (laughs) Mm -hmm. regardless of what it is, because I know I have a dream that I want to go chase and I'm going to go chase it and I'm going to do it regardless of if I have to work, you know, 50 hours a week. And then do this in my spare time, like all that, you know, if I had no time at all, I would do it. But I think the very end of the film and one of the reasons, you know, if I had to play devil's advocate was that the film very much was like, you know, it's I think it does a well job. Let's not play devil's advocate. It's Christmas. okay? (laughs) Um, No devil at Christmas. (laughs) So the film does a good job in showing that. A life that is not grand is still worth a lot. Mm. I think this film does a fantastic job showing that because I think many people probably go through their life thinking that they have to be a pop star, a movie star, whatever it is, in order to have some meaning to their life. And watching all those people, like you say, come in with the money at the end, showing how much George has done for the town and for everyone else, shows the meaning that he had. Just because he couldn't see it doesn't mean it wasn't there, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think many people go through their life, and uh, I think it touches on a very psychological thing on he was going to go end it because he felt that he had nothing else to give. He felt that it was over. But at the end, I think the reason it makes many people tear up is showing the amount that people actually do care about Mm -hmm. him and that although you may not be told it every single day or that, you know, you may go weeks or maybe even a few months without knowing that someone really is there for you. There's always somebody there for you. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think that is what gets a lot of people in the end is that regard, like, you know, it may go that amount of time without you knowing it, but there are so many people out there that care about you. So mm-hmm. I think that's why this film is so impactful and why it means so much to a lot of people. Yeah. That was one of the most beautifully said things. <laughs> I'm wiping tears currently. I, I, I'm tearing right now. <clears throat> I'm yeah. tearing upage right now. Tearage upage <laughs> right now. TM. Yeah, I just wanted, and it it parallels exactly with what you're saying, and no one's probably thinking about editing in a movie like this, but Mm -hmm. if you recall, when Clarence, which is the angel, first visits him, Mm -hmm. it stops snowing. Mm. So there's like that visual we have, something's off. Yeah. And then it goes into a very elongated, showing him what, change and what didn't get done or what's bad now because he wasn't alive 
to do mm. all the good that he did in the world. Yeah. Um. So I'm gonna put a pin in that for a second, and also talk about the structure and the payoff. Mm-hmm. There's so many movies now where, you know, it'll be two hours, hour forty-five, and then the last ten minutes, it's just climax, boom, done, out. That's it. Right. Yeah. And like you don't get to sit in it very long and. This movie allows you to sit in it. Like the climax shows up, and then you sit in that period where he's being taken around, showing that you know life without him is lesser. Mm-hmm. And that's a pretty good segment uh, sequence there, you know, time-wise. And you just really get to let all those feelings sink in from everything we've seen up to that point. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe an hour and a half or so. And then we got like 30, 40 minutes or so where we're just able to really get all the feeling and the impact emotionally that I think we needed, or at least I wanted when I was watching it. Mm-hmm. And then it wraps up with the happy ending. And like, that's a pretty quick segment in the house there at the end. Yeah. But before we get to the ending, we show back up at the bridge and there's that shot of him and you see the bridge like trusses in the background. Mm-hmm. And it comes back to the exact moment where he jumped off to save uh, Clarence. Mm-hmm. The snow starts coming down again. And I'm like, dude, like, who's doing that in the 1940s? Yeah. yeah. Freaking Frank Capra's doing that in the 1940s. <laughs> and I just, like, again, as one of those moments where I paused the movie, I was like, am I the only one that's, like, fired up about this? Hey, let's go. <laughs> Yeah. And that's just beautiful editing. I I think they did a fantastic job with this film and I think that it rightfully so is it should be remembered for like all of that it's done for like what it tried to achieve, you know? And I mean it's I think the reason that it's been so like pertinent is because of what we talked about with RKO and um the like A24-ness of it, like how Mm -hmm. experimental it was, was because you talked about it was a passion project. It it had to be because of so many people not wanting to get on the project and fund it and like be behind it. And showing that, you know, they wanted to give it a shot. They wanted to try new things. They wanted to try a bunch of different things. And I think Mm -hmm. that's where a lot of innovation comes from. And the editing like you're talking about having that sort of idea in the mind directing wise like knowing okay when this happens when he show clarence shows up it's gonna stop snowing and that's gonna take us into the twilight zone yeah it, it pretty into like some other world and i think that just shows you know many maybe the mainstream doesn't have it. They don't have all the answers. And the more overlooked indie scene has more of the innovation and things that can make a project come to life. Yeah, potentially. It also, right in that same vein, is the story is not complicated. Mm -hmm. It's not elaborate. It's not, you know, there's a little bit of time jumping there with the ending, but every movie doesn't have to be Tenet. doesn't have yeah. to be Blade Runner, mm-hmm. Arrival, as good as those movies are, and that we love them. Yeah. 
if you just tell a good story well, mm-hmm. one that everyone can relate to and can put themselves in those shoes, mm-hmm. like that's it, you know? That's where a lot of us live anyways. That's a very easy place to go and find yourself uh, feeling seen and represented. So mm-hmm. I'm all for people just making simple stories really well. Yeah. And I feel like there's probably a bunch of these little nuggets of a film from the 40s, 50s, that era that probably do this mm-hmm. better than almost all the movies coming out now. <laughs> Which is interesting. Maybe we should revisit some of these older ones and learn how to do some stuff again. Oh, yeah. Let's go watch Blood on the Moon and review that one. <laughs> With that being said, you know, I think it... I think it was a solid film. I think literally it I I could say it's more than a solid film. It's one of mm-hmm. like a true treasure, you know? And it's the reason many people watch it every year is because of those impactful moments and the the roller coaster it sends you on. So, it brings us to the question <laughs> of the hour. What did you what, what score would you give it? Mm. It's it's close. It's almost <laughs> at that number that is only going to be given to one film. Mm. But because I need to save that, despite how much I love this movie, I got to hit it with a 9 out of 10. Okay. I got you. I understand. What is what is the reasoning? Just it, you can't. It's it pretty pretty much. I, I'm assuming it's because like it, it's a good story, really good story. But <laughs> the ten, the top ten. You know what I mean? The number, the yeah. number uno. I just a ten. It's got to be perfect for me. Yeah. It might not even be perfect in any technical or emotional or dialogue type of way. Yeah. This one, it gets a slight knock, but only because of the era, some of the things, the cultural relevance I just miss mm-hmm. because I wasn't born in the 30s. Mm-hmm. So naturally, I would have to do my research before knowing a lot of the little nuance references in there. Yeah. And that's not a slap against the movie. That's a slap against my cultural lack of knowledge. So right. it's getting knocked down a grade because of myself, not because of the film. And again, a nine. Like, you get a nine. Nine's a good score. You're going to walk home and put that on the fridge. Yeah, yeah. You're, putting that on your, you're putting that on the fridge. You're like nice little metal. <laughs> uh, I'm. What about you? I'm giving. I'm giving it a 9 out of 10, too. Heck, yeah. I'm giving it a 9 out of 10. Let's also point out a lot of, if not almost everyone, is in this same range. Like you mentioned earlier, the ratings mm-hmm. are high, like yeah. 8.5 or higher. Yeah. it. This film, I think the story, it's very impactful. I think it's extremely timeless, the story mm-hmm. and its impact on uh, people. But at the same time, it goes along with what you were talking about with, you know, 
It's a different era. And I'm not going to say that that's bad. I think it definitely is timeless in its effect. But at the same time, I think that for what it's done for film, it definitely gets a 10 out of 10. But personally, Mm -hmm. for me, it's a 9 out of 10. Because I would watch this film again. Am I one of those people that would watch it every single year religiously? No, I'm still right. with the, it's a. I'm still with a Christmas story, yeah. but it, it definitely would be on my list of it, those films I would recommend. You know, and I think you know mainly because I'm just that type of person. Many people love this film, so I have to give it a nine out of ten. Yeah, just out of out of being the one to throw tomatoes at, you know, <laughs> so. <laughs> yeah. yeah and it's an easy one to give this high of a score to because there's just sheer volume of people in agreement there's just truth there like it's a fact it's a good movie that's right all right well we want to thank you all so much for listening to the podcast it's a wonderful life is a fantastic film go give it a watch if you haven't yet where have you been for the past how many years has it been 80 years where have you been? It's been, been a under- solid, solid time. If you're like me and you waited, just shame on you. Yeah, how dare you wait a whole 80 years to see this film? No, <laughs> go go give it a gander. Go give it a watch. It's fantastic. And I think that the acting and what we talked about all holds the film together. So you're not going to be disappointed. And especially... Yeah. If you're down with the psychological trippiness of it and like the sci-fi aspect of it, a hundred percent, it slaps. Yeah. Seal of approval. It slaps. <laughs> it slaps. Uh, top-notch content. Top-notch content. Tearage upage. All of it. Just every TM out there. Throw it on. <laughs> it's certified. Cinevibe certified. That's got Cinevibes. a nice ring to it. Cinevibe certified. But yeah, you know, it's Monday before Christmas. Maybe grab someone that you care about and sit down and watch this because it's been a rough year, but this movie is going to show you that there's value in your life and that your life is valuable. So don't forget that, guys. And uh, we hope you have a Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Thank you so much. As always, we got to throw in the ways you can contact us such as our Instagram, where we're very active on a weekly basis, and that's the Cinevibes. And then also, if you want to send us an email and tell us how much you love this film or how much you hate it, if you're the two people in the world that somehow have no heart, mm-hmm. then you can hit us at cinevibescast at gmail.com. And please, just click that follow button on Spotify. There's a little button on Spotify. It when says, we see it our analytics <laughs> and we see that number go up, you just know that you're going to... That's our Christmas wish. Yeah. Really? That's all that's we all want. We, that's all we want, honestly. If you want some tear jumpage from me, click that follow, <laughs> follow button. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. We hope you have a fantastic Christmas and look forward to the next episode, which will be one to remember. It's been fantastic. You've been fantastic. This film has been fantastic. And we're out.